It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I get it. I used to be the one planning my day around finding a bathroom and living in fear of an accident. I tried the pills and pads, but they just weren't working for me. If you're living like I was, it's time to find an expert physician and ask them about Axonics therapy. It's not another drug. It's an advanced therapy that is proven to provide lasting relief for overactive bladder. Still not sure? You can even try it first to make sure it works for you. You're not alone and you don't have to put up with this anymore. You just have to take the first step towards finding real relief. Visit findrealrelief.com to find a bladder specialist. That's findrealrelief.com. Consult a bladder specialist to find out if Axonics is right for you. Results and experiences may vary. Risks can result from Axonics therapy that may require surgical intervention. Available by prescription only. For more information about safety and potential risks, go to findrealrelief.com. When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Hold up. Just got a new sale. Order fulfilled and shipped. Inventory level's good. Whoa. Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level. Or on top of the world. Uh, You can run and grow your business anywhere. Climbing mountains is never easy, but at least Shopify gives me all the tools I need for my business to hit new beats. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. We've built the platform so you can keep climbing and grow your business to new heights. With Shopify, you really can sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. The X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back, MD Nation out there. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN. And as always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, and we are back with the recap of the Sunday games for week three. So we're talking all about the afternoon games, all the, the one o'clock games, the four o'clock games. The only thing we're not talking about is the Sunday night and the Monday night games. We're recording this on Sunday night, which means we'll get back to that tomorrow's episode. We'll re- recap the Sunday night game. We'll recap the Monday night game and we'll have the waiver wire report for you guys as well. That's how the schedule works on the MD's fantasy football show. In case you are new listening to this show, 
We had a big Sunday for you guys. It was not quite the red Sunday that was last week, thankfully, because I don't know if we could have, I don't know if anybody could have handled another week like that one. Thankfully, it wasn't as many big names, but we did have a, still a fair amount of injuries that did impact our fantasy values heading in for week four and possibly beyond. And we're going to go through all of that along with, of course, the recaps of what happened in these games, whose fantasy value went up, went down, what we think moving forward, what's your values at, who's the buy lows, who the sell highs are. So we're going to go through all of that as we go through each and every one of these matchups. And I want to start off the show with the Chicago Bears and the Atlanta Falcons. Now, first off, Julio Jones did not play in this game. We reported that news this morning. Remember, follow us at Show on Twitter or on Facebook, but especially on Twitter, you get those player news update notifications that we're all about. And, of course, this morning we started off helping out everybody with their star sick questions starting from 10 a.m. all the way up until kickoff. It's another reason to make sure you're following us on social media. But Julio Jones isn't playing this game. So what, what happens? Well, Calvin Ridley, five catches, 110 yards on 13 targets. No surprise there. He was head and shoulders the most targeted guy. That's what we expected to happen. But we also expected that if Julio Jones was not going to be able to go, that Russell Gage would also be able to pick up the slack. Unfortunately, Russell Gage is one of the early injuries in today's games. He goes down with a head injury. Now, it did not come out officially that he was in the concussion protocol, but I have to imagine that's what he's going to be in throughout the week. So he's somebody whose status we're going to have to watch, whether that he's going to be able to play next week. And this wasn't a typical plus 30-point game for the Atlanta Falcons that had been for the first two weeks. So outside of Calvin Ridley, there wasn't really any other pass catchers all that involved. Hayden Hurst only had three targets. He just happened to have a touchdown for the one catch for one yard for one touchdown. Talk about that efficiency. So he's able to save your fantasy day. He wasn't a total bust. He was a guy who was in our top 10, especially with no Julio Jones, thinking he would be more involved. But outside of that early touchdown in the game, that was it. He, he didn't do anything else after that. As far as other injuries go, the kicker, Young Hoku, he actually strained something before the game ever started. Now, he did play in this one, but he wasn't handling kickoff duties. He missed, he missed a couple of extra points. He's still a top kicker to be able to own, though. So we're going to actually see what the injury report on him is going to be heading into week four. So just don't panic on him yet if you have him as a kicker because he's one of the top guys, especially in this offense where they have to score points. And we're going to get into what the narrative of the game is going to be in just a minute after uh, we talk about the fantasy implications first because that's what this show is all about. So we go to Matt Ryan. He had an okay game. It wasn't the top five performances that he had been putting up for the first two weeks of the season. 238 yards, a touchdown, an interception. He's never going to give you anything on the ground. And it just shows you without Julio Jones and in a game in which they didn't necessarily need to push the ball as much, or at least they should have anyway, didn't need to push the ball as much without Julio Jones. He didn't have the be statistical game that we're used to him having. And he's going to have more games like he did the first two weeks than he did in this one. I can guarantee you that. Todd Gurley, 14 carries, 80 yards, a touchdown, over five yards carry, by far his most efficient day, which surprised me. I had Todd Gurley as a low-end RB2 because he simply, plain and simple, has not been very efficient. He has been plotting at best, and the Chicago Bears defensive line is pretty decent. 
and have been pretty decent against the run. But he winds up having a nice game here. Still not involved in the passing game, though. And I've talked about this. Like I said, I was a big defender on Todd Gurley, and I am prepared to eat crow on it. I explained this going into the matchup when we talked about this on Thursday. If he doesn't get involved in the passing game, he's a touchdown-dependent RB2. Well, he'll finish as at least an RB2 this week because he got 80 yards and a touchdown, but he got the touchdown. That was the key. Because once again, only two targets for one catch and two yards. He's just not involved. Brian Hill is in on too many of these situations in the passing down area. Even though he doesn't get targeted that much in his own right either. I mean, even in this game, he had three targets, one catch for 22 yards. He's in there, but he's not usually the guy getting targeted. He actually tacked on nine carries for 58 yards and a touchdown in this game, mostly coming off of a 35-yard touchdown run. But it was a little interesting to see him get involved in this game to a significant degree that he had as well. He hasn't been involved to this point until week three. I don't expect that to continue. I'm not worried about Todd Gurley losing carries necessarily moving forward. And 14 carries, that's actually the least amount of carries he's had so far this season and had his best day of the year. So it might be time to sell high on Todd Gurley. I said before, I thought it was going to take one more week. I didn't think he was having a great game against Chicago. And they have a nice schedule coming up. So if you can't sell high on him this week, you might have a couple more weeks in your immediate future because they have a nice little schedule that sets up for Todd Gurley, sets up for rushing attacks. And he should be able to come away with a few more touchdowns over the next few weeks. If he scores again next week, definitely sell high while you have the opportunity because his floor is just rock bottom if he doesn't score. Now, before we move to the Chicago Bears, I will talk, I will at least mention the narrative, even though it doesn't have much to do for fantasy purposes. But if you're the Atlanta Falcons, if you're a fan, if you're that front office, if you're the owner, how in the world can Dan Quinn possibly walk into the office on Monday with his job still intact? You didn't just give up a colossal blowout loss, colossal implosion against the Dallas Cowboys, and then do it again the very next week against the Chicago Bears, who went to their backup quarterback to come back against you, and once again imploded. Now, I will say the one difference about this game between this week and last week was that last week was 100% on the defense and 100% on Dan Quinn. This was on the offense and the defense because the entire second half, the Atlanta Falcons tried to go four-minute offense. And their four-minute offense under Dirk Cutter right now is a high school-level predictability in their play-calling type of offense. It's just smacking people up the middle. It's Matt Ryan just throwing two-yard passes. I mean, that's why you saw nobody else besides Calvin really, really get involved in this passing game at all with no Julio Jones. It was pathetic play calling. So they kept giving the ball back to Chicago. They kept giving them opportunities in the second half. And also, their defense imploded. If the Chicago Bears can come back against the Atlanta Falcons late and put up 30 points, no lead will be safe with the Falcons no matter who they are playing this entire season which from a fantasy standpoint will bode well more times than not for guys like Matt Ryan and really everybody else involved in the Atlanta Falcons because they're just going to have to continue to score points. So it bodes well for fantasy purposes, but I just don't know how Dan Quinn walks into the office on Monday with a job still intact. And if he does, 
I would love to hear how their PR staff is going to be able to pitch that to their fans that he deserves to still be there. I don't, I don't see how. How could he possibly still deserve to be there? I don't know. I don't know. So that's what I want to talk about with the narrative, at least on that, for fantasy purposes, what that means for this team moving forward. Now, on Chicago Bears side of the ball, we mentioned it. Nick Foles comes in. Mitchell Trubisky got outright benched in this game. He was playing horribly in the first half against a terrible defense, which would, I think, led to him actually getting benched. Because Chicago, Matt Nagy, and the staff, they have to be sitting there like, this is the worst defense we've played so far. And you look terrible. Nick Foles comes in. On the first drive, he throws an interception in the end zone but manages to come back for three touchdown passes. See you later, Mitchell Trubisky. You are done. You are goodbye, good riddance. And it serves anybody right who did not listen to the show and actually streamed Mitchell Trubisky against the Atlanta Falcons. I told everybody, you can't trust them. You can't trust Trubisky. He's burned you more times than not, and it doesn't really matter what matchup he's in. Bye-bye. Unless there's an injury to Nick Foles, we will not see Mitchell Trubisky again for the rest of the season. Now, Chicago Bears side, there is some injury news that we do have to talk about. We have to talk about Tariq Cohen. They are fearful that he tore his ACL today. So, very unfortunate for Tariq Cohen. Well, of course, we'll get the clarification or we'll get the confirmation, I should say, tomorrow when they do the MRI results. But they're pretty confident that he tore his ACL. What does that mean going forward? Well, it means David Montgomery is going to be more involved in the passing game. It also means Cordell Stewart is probably going to play uh, Cordell Stewart. Whew. Cordell Patterson is probably going to play more as well, too. But if David Montgomery is not going to be in a position where he's able to get at least, let's say, four targets a game, which I think is very plausible now with no Tariq Cohen in the mix, all of a sudden his floor is going to rise to at least low end RB2 level. And even though he didn't particularly look great in this game, 14 carries, 45 yards, and only just three yards a carry, He's been pretty efficient to this point. He's looked pretty good to this point. So David Montgomery is somebody who's going to give you, I think, mid-level RB2 production on a pretty consistent basis. Especially now with Nick Foles under center because they're going to lean on that play-action game. So in some ways, it's good news for David Montgomery owners. You're going to have a pretty solid RB2, I believe, as long as he's able to stay healthy. And he's finally going to have the opportunity to get more involved in the passing game. But the big winner on the day has to be Allen Robinson, right? 10 catches, 123 yards, a touchdown, 13 targets. By the way, pretty much all of that production came with Nick Foles took over. All of a sudden, Allen Robinson was somebody who is a great wide receiver, but cannot trust his quarterback to ever get him the ball in stride. To now, hey, Nick Foles might not be great. I've never been a big fan. But I do know Nick Foles knows how to get the ball to his number one wide receiver. And he can at least reach him. And he's going to give him opportunities to actually go after it. It's not going to be five feet behind him. It's not going to be 10 feet over his head. It's going to be an area in which Allen Robinson can actually make a play on the ball. This is great news for Allen Robinson that Nick Foles took over. Allen Robinson owners, not only do you celebrate because you had the big game, You celebrate because more of these types of games are on the way now that Nick Foles took over. And there's no question about it. So Allen Robinson, guess what? You're back to being a wide receiver too. You're back to being a high-end wide receiver too. That draft pick you spent on him, 
your investment is about to be returned because Nick Foles finally took over. I guess we have to mention Jimmy Graham. I guess we have to mention the fact that he went six for 60 and two touchdowns on 10 targets in this game. The second most targeted pass catcher right behind Allen Robinson. I guess we have to mention that. But he's another one of those guys who had a big week, but there's no chance that I'm going to tell you heading into week four that Jimmy Graham is a streaming tight end that you have to target and you have to play. Because he's another one of those guys that we've seen disappear on you in a heartbeat for no reason at all before. And I'm not going to have MD Nation. I'm not going to be a person who gets burned by that again. If he does it two weeks in a row, we're all not necessarily two touchdowns, but if he does it two weeks in a row where he is head and shoulders, the second favorite target of Nick Foles behind Allen Robinson, then we'll talk about streaming territory. But he's going to have to do it more than just this week. So that does it for the Bears and the Falcons game. The next game I want to talk about was a high-scoring game, a nice little shootout between the Rams and the Buffalo Bills. Two good teams. The Bills got up on them early. To Jared Goff's credit, to Sean McVay's credit, to the Rams' credit in general, they actually managed to crawl their way back into this game. They did a pretty good job. Jared Goff finishes the day with 321 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception against a a good Buffalo Bills defense. Which, by the way, has had two weeks now back-to-back where they haven't performed very well. Miami Dolphins put up a lot of points and moved the ball. Now, the Rams have a much more competent offense, but they moved the ball with ease in the second half and really, really should have won the game. I don't know what Josh Allen's doing tonight, but I know if I was him, I would be sending a fruit basket to the referee because the referee handed Josh Allen, the Buffalo Bills, the win in this game at the end because that was not, it was not a pass interference call at all that set the Bills up to then score the game-winning touchdown. There was nothing there. An absolute horrendous call is what cost the Rams this game. But all in all, their offense was great. Here was the big surprise to me. Daryl Henderson, 20 carries, over 100 yards, and a touchdown. The fact that Malcolm Brown was not involved at all, and we knew Cam Akers was going to be out for this game. This wasn't a split. The week before, it was still a split. Malcolm Brown hurt his pinky, and that's why Daryl Henderson took over. But in this game, right from the get-go, it was Henderson all the way, and he looked great. Over five yards of carry. He gashed him consistently. What happens now? He looked like the best Rams running back to this point. What happens when Cam Akers comes back? I don't know how you just turn away from Daryl Henderson. I don't know how you just say it's only hot hand approach every single week when you got when you gave the guy 20 carries, and this is the second week in a row where he's had a big game. Henderson's making his case to stay. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens if Cam Akers, in fact, can come back and be active next week. Now, again, because it has been a three-man rotation to this point, because it has been a hot man approach, you can't get overly excited about Daryl Henderson. And frankly... You want to talk about a sell-high candidate. If you can sell him off for an RB2 who has a consistent workload, find a way to do it. Find a way to do it. If you can sell him off to the Cam Akers owner because maybe they're panicking now that Daryl Henderson had a big game under his belt and they're not sure if they're going to get the investment back on Cam Akers and they're willing to trade you a valuable piece 
in order to ensure that they didn't bust out during their drafts, take advantage. Because there's going to be leagues out there where that's going to be a possibility to be able to do that. Sell high, because this still could be a three-man committee. But here's what I will say. Malcolm Brown, guess what, buddy? Malcolm Brown, you are welcome to Flushtown. To be flushed. He's not the goal line back. Daryl Henderson got goal line carries in this game. If Malcolm Brown does not have a designated goal line role, at the very least, which is what I thought he had up until this point and had had up until this point, well, then guess what? He's definitely the third talented back on this backfield. Daryl Henderson and Cam Akers are definitely ahead of him as far as talent goes. So more times than not, it'll be one of those two that has the quote-unquote hot hand that Sean McVay likes to bring up moving forward for fantasy purposes. So Malcolm Brown, I'm going to hit it one more time for you. Prepare to be flushed. There's no reason to own him. You get to the receiving aspect of this game. Cooper Cup coming through with a big day. Nine catches, 107 yards, a touchdown on 10 targets. Second week in a row, he was the lead targeted wide receiver. Robert Woods doing Robert Woods things, though. Not only did he get five catches for 74 yards and a touchdown as well on six targets, but he also had his three carries for 30 yards, still getting involved on those motion sweeps, more so than Cooper Cup. Now, Cooper Cup, usually last year, he would get involved in those. He hasn't to this point. It's been all Robert Woods when Sean McVay does his wide receiver jet sweeps. But Woods will get involved one way or another. He is a consistent wide receiver, too, that you can just plug and play and know that you're going to get solid production out of almost every single week. And Cooper Cup coming on strong the last two weeks in his own right. Doing a good job really getting those two involved. But I talked about this heading into the matchup. And I said, one of the things I worry about Cooper Cup as far as the ceiling goes is he's going to have to kind of go back and forth a little bit with Tyler Higby when it comes to the end zone. And this is a big Cooper Cup game. You know who was kind of left out? Tyler Higby. Two catches, 40 yards on two targets. Now, you couldn't bench him after he had a three-touchdown performance against the Philadelphia Eagles, but it's still disappointing nonetheless. And like I said, it's, it's something I think that's going to go back and forth between those two, especially when it comes to the red zone. And we'll have to see how that plays out. On the Buffalo Bills side of the ball, outside of Russell Wilson... And maybe Dak Prescott, too, because he had a huge day for fantasy purposes as well. I don't know if there's a better fantasy quarterback than Josh Allen. Now, we didn't get to see Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson play because, like you said, we're recording this Sunday night. That game's a Monday night game. We'll talk about that in tomorrow's show. But who's hotter than Josh Allen right now, especially for fantasy teams? I mean, this guy's dropping nearly 40 points every single week for your fantasy teams right now. 300 yards, another four touchdown performance, had the one pick, He runs it in for a touchdown, so he counts for five touchdowns on the day. And he had one of his lowest rushing totals he's going to have all season long with eight yards. They threw the ball 33 times. There was no Zach Moss in this game. Devin Singletary was the main guy, and he only got 13 carries. Josh Allen just continues to get the volume. Continues to get the volume. Now, he didn't play too well in the second half. The Rams' defense kind of tightened up there. And like I said... They shouldn't have won this game. They were gifted to it by the referee. But Allen's going to be a fantasy stud if he continues to throw the ball the way he is. He's making me eat crow. He is. I was not big on Josh, and I'm not the only one, but I was not big on Josh Allen 
and buying into the idea that he was going to take that drastic next step up that he needed to take in his development as a passer. I wasn't convinced that he was going to be accurate enough. He's been pretty good for three, three games so far. And he's been getting his studs involved. Stephon Diggs didn't have a huge receiving day. Poor catches 49 yards, but he still gets you a touchdown. Cole Beasley was actually the one. Six catches, 100 yards on seven targets. Now, here's what I will say about Cole Beasley. I've been, I've been staring people away from him. I was like, I'm not picking him up. But John Brown did go down with an injury in this game. They listed it as a calf injury, which makes me leads me to believe that they, he probably will miss at least another week, maybe two. So they're going to go in, I believe, at least into week four with Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley being the top two wide receivers. If you're in a PPR league and you are desperate, Cole Beasley can be considered a wide receiver four in your flex if need be. Hopefully you still have better options. Not something I'm counting on, but it's a move that you can be that can be made can be made. And Cole Beasley probably will be on the waiver wire report in tomorrow's show. And we'll talk about that more then. We had some other guys involved like Gabriel Davis and, you know, Tyler Croft, who had two touchdowns in this game. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. But remember, Dawson Knox was out. More times than not, Gabriel Davis is not going to be as involved. So I'm not worried about any of the other pass catchers here. I will say Devin Singletary had a nice game, 13 carries, 71 yards. Also tacked on four receptions for 50 yards on five targets in this game. So he had a night. He went over 100 yards from scrimmage. He didn't score, but he had a really nice game with no Zach Moss. Now, Zach Moss's nature of his injury, I don't think he's going to miss much time. and He might be back next week. But he at least showed you that if he gets the bulk of the work, he can produce, he can be an RB3, he can be a flex play for you moving forward. Now that we're done with that game, let's talk about the Houston Texans, let's talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers. This game went as I expected it to, and it also surprised me at the same time. The Pittsburgh Steelers did not dominate the line of scrimmage the way I kind of expected them to defensively to their offensive side of the ball. I expected this to be more of a, more of a domination. Now, Watson was still sacked five times, and he was still on the run for his life pretty often. But the Texans were able to move the ball more consistently and more effectively than I thought they were going to be able to do. And like I said heading into this week, if you could buy low into Deshaun Watson, now's the time to do it. Because they have a great schedule, a favorable schedule for all teams involved, starting off with the Minnesota Vikings in week four. For like the next, I want to say, five to six weeks minimum, if not the rest of the season. 
they got a really nice schedule setting up. Watson's going to be in the top six quarterback discussion for fantasy football purposes probably over the next two months minimum. So if you're going to buy low, this is the last week to do it. If you don't get them this week, you're not going to get them. And I do believe in buying low on Deshaun Watson. David Johnson saves your fantasy day with a touchdown. Now, I wasn't big on him. I said he wasn't a must-start, but I also recognize that you might not have a better option because of where you probably drafted David Johnson in your drafts to begin with. So thankfully, if you had to play David Johnson because you didn't have another option to go to, he does save your day with a touchdown. You didn't lose because of David Johnson. And better days will be ahead for him as well. Receiving-wise, Randall Cobb was actually the big guy on the day. Four targets, four catches, 95 yards, and a touchdown. Don't expect that to be the case more times than not. I knew this was going to be a tough matchup for Brandon Cooks. I knew it was going to be a tough matchup for Will Fuller, who in his own right was able to come away with a solid game. Four catches, 54 yards, and a touchdown on five targets. Although, I like to see how many people actually had the balls to start Will Fuller this week. When you take into consideration that he gooshed you last week, and he was in and out supposedly with a hamstring issue, but was never on the injury report the following week. It was very weird. Going up against the Pittsburgh Steelers, I'd like to see how many people were actually confident in taking that chance. But he did come away with a decent game, and they have a better matchup next week, and he's healthy. He, didn't, he wasn't injured in this game at all. The guy I know a lot of people are going to be wondering about is what do they do with Brandon Cooks moving forward? They're like, is this the guy we can trust? He had a decent game against Baltimore, but he's almost invincible or invincible, invisible to the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'll say this. He had five targets, which tied with Will Fuller for the lead in targets. So it just kind of goes to show you that Watson really spread the ball around in this game. Not any one particular player got heavily involved. He only had three catches or 23 yards. This wasn't a game I was starting Brandon Cooks to begin with. I am going to start him next week against Minnesota. And that just goes to what I'm saying about this offense having a nice schedule coming up. All these guys that you drafted, Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller, maybe even picked up Randall Cobb with the amount of volume that he's been having, Deshaun Watson, David Johnson, they're going to start performing pretty soon. So I'm not worried about the Texans' offense. Now you go to the Steelers' side of the ball, James Conner coming through with another 100-yard performance and another touchdown. Absolutely phenomenal. And this was a matchup you wanted him to take advantage of. I know people are going to ask me, do I sell high on James Conner? My answer to that is, who are you selling him high for? A lot of teams need running backs. So his value is pretty high, especially considering he's had two back-to-back games of 100 yards and a touchdown. It's clearly his, still his backfield, and he's still healthy. But what are you going to sell him for? Because part of him, part of the injuries to the running back position right now is also to say, well, there aren't too many guys left. And right now, frankly, if you have a running back who's producing and is healthy, well, you kind of have an advantage over everybody else. And James Conner, where you drafted him at, he should be your RB2. So do you want to sell high on him? If you're strong at the running back position, you're looking for a receiver, sure. If you can package him for an RB1, then Sure. But I'm not trading. I'm not trying to sell high on him for just a, a mid-level to high-end RB two. That's what I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to do that. Now, if you're a James Conner owner, you don't have Benny Snell. I am going to look into what I need to do to acquire him if he's not available on the waiver wire anymore, which he's probably not in a lot of places. That I will check out. 
but it would have to be a pretty sweet deal for me to sell high on James Conner right now, given the landscape at the running back position. I'll just mention this real quickly. Not that it's going to matter for your fantasy teams and redraft leagues as of right now, but Anthony McFarlane did get involved in this game. Six carries, 42 yards. Just an Anthony McFarlane sighting. Just kind of interesting to note. One thing about the Pittsburgh Steelers, unfortunately, Deontay Johnson had to go into concussion protocol. That was that was unfortunate because he could he really should have had a big game in this one, and he, I think he would have had a big game in this one. Unfortunately, he totally goosed you. A lot of you probably lost because of Deontay Johnson. I had a DFS lineup with him in it, and of course, I won no money because of that. Hopefully, he'll be able to get through the concussion protocol. Make sure you're following us at BellyUpMDFFShow on Twitter. And we'll keep you up to date throughout the week on that. And that's something we're going to have to watch very closely. In his stead, as you expect, Juju Smith-Schuster, four catches, 43 yards, and a touchdown on five targets. I will say this. Schuster has not had a game yet in which he's had a really that high of a yard total. And he hasn't had a game yet where he's led the way in targets. Remember, Deontay Johnson led the way in targets the past two weeks. And in this game, James Washington and Eric Ebron tied for seven targets, had more targets than Schuster. And Connor even had five targets the same amount as Schuster in this game as well. I find that a little interesting. I'm not worried about it. I know Ben Roethlisberger still likes to go to Schuster. But I just find it interesting that he has not dominated target share in a game in which Deontay Johnson went down early. He still didn't do it. Now, he scored in two out of three games. So you're going to take it all day, every day. And not that he's a buy-low candidate, but I will say I don't think we've seen the be- the biggest and the best games from Juju Smith-Schuster yet, just to kind of keep that in mind. Now, when Deontay Johnson went down, James Washington wound up playing a lot more in this game, and he only had five catches for 36 yards on that total. I think it's a matter of time before Chase Claypool takes over. Now, he didn't do it in this week, only, only one catch for 24 yards on four targets. But when Deontay Johnson comes back, more and more, whenever James Washington's put in a situation where he can actually get the volume, he does very little with it. So I think it's just a matter of time before Claypool takes over. Just to kind of keep that in mind. I'll mention Eric Ebron, five catches, 52 yards, and touchdown. Like I said, seven targets. He's still not a streaming option for me. It's the first good game that he's had, and there's a lot of tight ends who are interesting for streaming options in general. So we're just going to move on. We're going to talk about the Tennessee Titans. We're going to talk about the Minnesota Vikings. I'm going to start off with the Vikings because I talked about this on Thursday. I talked about how with the Minnesota Vikings, how they were in a situation where their offense was a mess. Kirk Cousins was a mess, but Kirk Cousins is a guy who's streaky and could easily bounce back. I talked about the main thing that they were going to have to figure out is that another wide receiver besides Adam Thielen was going to have to get involved. And I said, that you know, being that he was a first-round pick, that wide receiver ought to be Justin Jefferson. Well, boy, did he just have his breakout and his rookie debut today. Seven catches, 175 yards, a touchdown on nine targets. I said more involved. I didn't say to take over. <laughs> Adam Thielen, thank goodness Adam Thielen scored you a touchdown because otherwise, three catches for 29 yards. Second week in a row where he really winds up not having a great day for you. He just happens to score in this one to save your day. Otherwise, I wouldn't love it. Otherwise, I'd be a little, I would be a little worried about it. Now, I think overall, Justin Jefferson going off in this game will be a good thing for Thielen. 
because now it'll start to establish that there truly is a second weapon in that passing game that teams are going to have to actually respect. So instead of just cloud covering Adam Thielen all the time, which is what happened in this game, they're going to have to pay attention. They're going to have to respect what it is that Justin Jefferson can do. So long-term, this will be a good thing for Adam Thielen, even though this is probably the big reason why he didn't have a great game in this one. Dalvin Cook, I told you better days were ahead for Dalvin Cook. I told you if guys were panicking because of his usage to this point that you had to buy low on him while you could, and even then you weren't really going to because he'd been scoring touchdowns anyway. But Dalvin Cook, 22 carries, 181 yards, and a touchdown. Two catches, 18 yards, still not very involved in the passing game, although he had five targets. Dalvin Cook's here, baby. It's Zeke Elliott, it's Alvin Kamara, and it's Dalvin Cook. Those are your top three running backs. Those are the guys who are going to be jostling for the RB1 at the end of the year, provided they all stay healthy. 181 yards. And I have to say, we've seen three weeks now of the Tennessee Titans defense, and I know they're a bit banged up, but this is a defense that you can take advantage of in every facet of the game. Your top receiver, your top running back. Tennessee's a defense that you should have no fear against. But having said that, they've been able to keep up in these games, and they're 3-0. and They've been able to win these games. A big reason is Ryan Tannehill continues to be very good. Now, he didn't have a touchdown in this game, but he still went over 300 yards passing. He had the one pick, so he was able to salvage his fantasy day in some respect by going over 300 yards. We know better days are ahead for him. We know he'll score touchdowns. But the reason you get the chance to today is because of the guy that I came on this show. I came on the DFS show and I said, this is the week that Derrick Henry was going to have his big breakout game for 2020. 26 carries, 119 yards, two touchdowns. That big week you've been waiting for came. I just want to point out 31 carries, 25 carries, and 26 carries. Those are the totals for Derrick Henry over the past three weeks. That's insane. No running back is sniffing that kind of volume. And we'll see if he's able to hold up throughout the entire season with this kind of volume, but he's built to do it. And he looked like he got stronger as this game went on. He wasn't getting fatigued. There's still not another running back involved. Darrington Evans is not involved. He even had two catches for 11 yards in this game, Derrick Henry. Man, oh, man. The games in which he scores, he's going to be a top three running back. Plain and simple. So I told you they were coming, and they came. Once again, A.J. Brown was out. The passing game, as far as target share goes, was headed up by Janu Smith. Five catches, 61 yards. Now, he didn't get to two touchdowns like he did. But it just goes to show you that he's a top 10 tight end every single week especially while A.J. Brown is out. Now, we'll, when A.J. Brown comes back in, we're going to have to reassess exactly what his target share is going to be. I still believe he'll be in the top 10 of tight ends, but right now he's somebody I think you can play almost consistently within the top five as a high-end tight end one rather than a low-end tight end one when A.J. Brown comes back. But I think we might be still at least two weeks away from that happening. They're talking, they came out and they talked about it today that A.J. Brown is not healing as fast as they thought he would or as they would like. And the problem is that he has a deep knee bone bruise. These things take a while to heal. Now, the good news is that once they heal, from what I understand, I'm not a doctor, but 
from all the reading that I've done, the research I've done on this, once they heal, he's good to go. This is not something that tends to linger on or tends to get re-aggravated necessarily. It's not a soft tissue injury, but they can take forever to heal. So I think he's going to be out for at least two more weeks. So maybe, maybe week five, we might see an AJ Brown sighting. But I don't I think there's very little chance he plays in week four. And of course we'll monitor that as the week goes on. Corey Davis had an okay game, five catches, 69 yards. He was involved. The guy who went over 100 yards was Khalif Raymond on three targets for three catches and 118 yards. Look, he's that type of guy that he's a big play threat, but he's never going to be involved enough. Before we move on, I do want to mention Adam Humphreys. I told you, do not stream Adam Humphreys. You cannot trust Adam Humphreys. Seven targets, but only four catches for 41 yards. That is a line that becomes common with Adam Humphreys, especially after he has big games. So just want to keep that out there. I will continue to stream Corey Davis as long as A.J. Brown is out. And Janu Smith will continue to be a must-start. But outside of that, we're not playing any other pass catchers until A.J. Brown comes back. Before we get into the rest of the games, we're going to take a quick break. And then we still have about eight games left to go over for you guys in today's show. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And we are back with the MD's Fantasy Football Show on WWSRM, the Worldwide Sports Network, of course, also presented by Belly Up Sports. I am your host, Dan Mater. We're going through the recap of the Sunday afternoon games and continuing on now with the Washington Football Club and the Cleveland Browns. And we'll start on the Washington side of the ball. Dwayne Haskins continues to be a quarterback that you want to stream defenses against. He's going to give up turnovers. This is what he's going to do at this point. He had three interceptions in this game. Unfortunately, McLaurin didn't have a big game. It was Dontrell Edmond who got the two touchdowns, but he still had a solid game for you. So if there's one thing I will give Haskins credit for is at least the one guy from this Washington football club that you want to play does tend to get the ball every single game, does tend to put up at least a high floor for you. Four catches, 83 yards, still led the way with eight targets. Like I said, the difference just was Edmund wound up getting the two touchdowns from this team. That's not usually going to be the case. Usually speaking, Terry McLaurin is going to be the guy no matter what the situation is on the field. Now, quick mention, Antonio Gibson did find his way into the end zone. Only nine carries for 49 yards. And again, a disappointing three catches for 11 yards to me. I still expect him to see him get more and more involved. There's going to be a point in time during this season where Antonio Gibson is going to have five to six targets a game. And that's what you're going to come to expect. Now, it hasn't quite gotten to that point yet, but it's coming. And I told you going into this game that I've been pretty impressed with Cleveland's run defense overall as it is. That's why Antonio Gibson was not a must play for me this week. He wasn't somebody who ranked inside my flex territory. And he still wound up giving you a flex performance if you played him because he scored the touchdown. But to me, I look at that as a big silver lining because I think bigger days are ahead. It's clearly his backfield. J.D. McKissick had five carries for just 15 yards, and he was the only other running back really involved in a significant way. Peyton Barber three carries, six yards since that week one, getting those two touchdowns and getting 17 carries. He has not been involved since then. So I'm not worried about Peyton Barber moving forward. I think that has to be the good news. Gibson will continue to get more involved and we'll have better matchups along the way too. 
So I think somebody's going to be an RB3 on a more consistent basis and maybe by season's end finds itself into a low end RB2 type of territory. But that's all we need to talk about with Washington. Now, in Cleveland, on the other hand, we have lots of things to talk about, like Nick Chubb. 19 carries, 108 yards, and two touchdowns. But let's talk about the fact that Kareem Hunt was not far behind him in the carry load. 16 carries to Nick Chubb's 19. Now, he wasn't nearly as effective on the ground, 46 yards, not even three yards of carry. But he does, once again, get the receiving touchdown. Only two catches for 18 yards, but still gets the receiving touchdown. Kareem Hunt is the leading receiver as far as touchdowns go for this team. It's not close. It's Nick Chubb and it's Kareem Hunt. These are the guys you're playing when it comes to the Cleveland Browns. The only other guy I'm even going to consider is OBJ. But hence what I said there. The only other guy I'm going to consider, not must play, not definitely, not a guy that I'm excited to play, I will consider him. I'm not considering starting Jarvis Landry. And in fact, I'm going to be the first person on record to say this about Jarvis Landry right now. Prepare to be flushed. I know that sounds crazy. And frankly, there should be other players on your roster that you can drop before you go ahead and drop Jarvis Landry. But Jarvis Landry, it can be considered welcome to Flushtown. Time to be in Flushtown. Time to be on your waiver wire. When are you going to feel comfortable with Jarvis Landry? I talked about this going in from Thursday. There's not enough volume. This Cleveland team is what Minnesota was a year ago. Just instead of Dalvin Cook getting all of it, it's both Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt paving the way. But it's the running game. It's it. They're not built for Baker Mayfield. It's not built for OBJ. Four catches, 59 yards on six targets. They're not even taking that many shots with OBJ. I think that's the biggest problem that I have here. He had an 18-yarder in this ballgame. But OBJ is a becoming more and more of a boom or bust option. A big play or sit-down fantasy play. And this game just confirms it. This wasn't a matchup that scared you in the secondary. Like I said, I, I talked about this going into the matchup. This is what I was worried about. There just not being enough volume for OBJ and Jarvis Landry to be fantasy relevant. If I have to play Cleveland wide receiver, it's OBJ. But that's if I have to at this point. He's not going to be a must-star for me. Will there be game scripts where they'll have to throw the ball more? Yeah, of course there will. We saw that with Baltimore. But they're not going to be playing their game when it happens, and I can't trust Baker Mayfield. 156 yards and two touchdowns for Baker Mayfield. He's going to finish outside the top 20 of quarterbacks for fantasy football purposes, plain and simple. So I'm owning OBJ. I'm picking my matchups when I play him. And I don't feel the need to own Jarvis Landry at all. I don't feel the need to play anyone not named Nick Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt on the Cleveland Browns team, plain and simple. So we can move on. We can go to the Raiders. We can go to the Patriots. Cam Newton. 
The Raiders are supposed to be this prime matchup. Cam Newton, who's been on fire for the first two weeks, gets in, well inside my top 10 at the quarterback position and absolutely kills me. 17 for 28, 162 yards, one passing touchdown, one interception, only 27 yards rushing, and no rushing touchdowns. The first week with no rushing touchdowns. Now, are better days ahead? Yes. We all see what they actually want to do with Cam. Their defense just dominated this game. That's pretty much what it boiled down to. Their defense and Rex Burkhead. Instead of Cam Newton getting the goal line touchdowns, Rex Burkhead walked away with three. Now, if you're telling me somebody who predicted that, that Cam Newton was going to have a bad game because Rex Burkhead was going to get three touchdowns, I would have laughed in your face. The backfield of the Patriots is something we need to talk about. Sony Michelle went over 100 yards, had a 48-yard in this game, but he only had nine carries. J.J. Taylor had more carries than Sony Michelle in this game with 11. Far less efficient, 43. But he still had, he had more carries than Sony Michelle. Now, up until this point, Michelle had still been the carry leader. And his best game of the year, he only has nine carries. It makes no sense. Rex Burkhead, like I said, he had the two rushing touchdowns. He also tacked on a receiving touchdown. He was also the lead receiver, and it wasn't close either. Ten targets, seven catches, 49 yards. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. Start a journey, not a fad. Kick off your fitness journey with up to $500 off Peloton Bike, Bike Plus, or Tread Packages. Choose the package that will take your training to the next level with accessories like our cycling shoes, heart rate band, non-slip grip dumbbells, and more. Join now and you'll see why 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All access membership separate. Offer ends January 8th, 2023. Excludes Bike, Bike Plus, and Tread Basics. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. The next most targeted pass catcher was Julian Edelman with six. He had two catchers, 23 yards. This was disappointing for all Patriot players across the board. After the game that they had against Seattle, where Julian Edelman and Nikhil Harry and Cam Newton all went off, a Raiders defense that is susceptible at best. I mean, they killed you from a fantasy perspective. Unless you streamed Rex Burkhead from a desperate position, you didn't really get any value out of this team unless you streamed the defense. Better days are ahead for the guys that you were depending on when it comes to the Patriots, though. So I'm not worried about it. It's just It was disappointing in a matchup that you were anticipating them being able to take advantage of. And if you had told me that against the Raiders, they dropped 36 points and none of those guys that you're going to be playing on the Patriots on a regular basis were going to do anything. Well, whew, I would have told you you're crazy. So better days are ahead for them. It was just one of those weird games that the Patriots dominated without actually dominating. On the Raiders side of the ball, they need Henry Ruggs. They had nothing to threaten the Patriots with down the field without Henry Ruggs. So even though Henry Ruggs, from a fantasy perspective, has not gone crazy, his NFL impact was definitely felt in my mind because the Patriots were able to squeeze the hell out of this Raiders team. 
Darren Waller, two catches for nine yards. Now, you probably weren't going to bench Darren Waller, but I did express that I was a little bit concerned. Because with no Henry Ruggs, well, what do the Patriots do? The thing that Belichick does with everybody is he takes away your number one pass-catching option, which was Waller. They did that. Now, Hunter Renfro, because of that, actually wound up having a decent game here. Six catches, 84 yards, a touchdown on nine targets. I know you're going to ask, is Hunter Renfro stream-worthy when there's no Henry Ruggs playing? And I'm going to say, as a wide receiver five in your flex, if you're desperate in PPR only. In other words, hopefully there's a better option. Because Hunter Renfro can only succeed when the number one target and Darren Waller cannot. And more times than not, that's not going to be the case. Josh Jacobs was okay in this game. 16 carries, 71 yards. I'll say this from a physical standpoint, he didn't look too hampered. It was more just the Patriots were able to keep him contained. Tax on three catches for 12 yards as far as passing goes with four targets. He's still involved there. That's the good news. Jalen Rashard at no point this season has come in and usurped the passing work away from him. So they have stayed true to the word that he was going to be more involved in that capacity and he wasn't going to be coming off the field. That's that's the good news. So kind of take that into consideration moving forward. You're fine with Josh Jacobs. He's going to be an RB1 the rest of the way. Derek Carr was actually solid in this game, 261, two touchdowns. If he continues to have more performances like this, he may eventually come into the streaming territory, but he's still not there yet for us because he just he doesn't really have a ceiling yet that you're going to be excited about playing at any point. Outside of that, there's nothing much else to talk about the Raiders. We'll see if Henry Ruggs can come back next week. So we move on to the game. I was the game I probably saw the least of because what happens is on Sundays, I'm, I'm trying to watch mostly red zone. I'm trying to watch a little bit of every single game. So when I come in on here and I recap this on Sunday night, and that way it's available for you guys on Monday. I like to be able to be able to talk about each one of these games. I was very excited to talk about this game in particular, even though I didn't see a whole hell of a lot of it. And that was the San Francisco 49ers and the New York Giants. And the reason I really want to talk about this game is I know Joe Judge is a first-year head coach, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's some heat on that seat. Not to the point where he's actually going to get fired during the season and probably won't because of the way David Gettleman works. He probably won't get fired at the end of the year either. But if the Giants against the JV squad that was the San Francisco 49ers can't move the ball, can Jason Garrett at least be the scapegoat? Can we see Jason Garrett get fired as an offensive coordinator? They look like they had absolutely no plan of attack. Now, I know they don't have Saquon. I get that. And I get the impact of that. That's their best player on offense. That's what they wanted the offense to flow through with Saquon. You're still supposed to have an up-and-coming quarterback in Daniel Jones. I'm not a believer in him, but he's supposed to be an up-and-coming quarterback. You still have Darius Slayton, who's a good target. You still have Evan Ingram, who's a mismatch. You had no plan of attack against pretty much the second line of this 49ers defense, which you got dominated by. 36-9, how is that the final score? From a fantasy standpoint, this was disappointing to me in every way. I was big. I was bold on Daniel Jones and Darius Slayton as a contrarian DFS play. That blew up in my face. But I was definitely big on Darius Slayton being a high-end wide receiver, too, with a huge upside ceiling because I didn't believe that the San Francisco secondary had enough speed to be able to keep up with them. Now, I did not know 
or I should I should say I did not know until Sunday morning that Jason Verrett was really going to play because the word up for most of the week was that they weren't expecting Jason Verrett to come back just yet. He did, and he played well. And all of a sudden, you look at the 49ers defense, and you have Richard Sherman, who's on his way back by week five, I believe, and you have Jason Verrett, which obviously he's had his injury woes, but if he's able to get healthy... Their secondary actually has a chance to bounce back here. We haven't seen Verrett play in a long time. He actually played really well in this matchup. He mostly matched up on Darius Slayton. Now Slayton still tied with Golden Tate for the most targets on the team with seven. Three catches, 53 yards. So he gave you something. He gave you a floor. He wasn't abysmal. He didn't goose you. He didn't lose you the week. Better days are ahead for Darius Slayton. I full-heartedly believe in better matchups. This team's going to have to turn into a pass-first team which technically they were in this game, but they just they barely had the ball to really be considered anything on offense. They'll still have to be a pass-first team, and Darius Slayton's going to be the biggest benefactor of that because he is turning into a star receiver in this league. Mark my words. So I actually look at this, if I'm a fantasy owner, as a great time to buy low on Darius Slayton because I think big days are ahead for him. Evan Ingram, he's a frustrating tight end one to own, but he's still not a tight end that you can drop. He might not be a must play in certain matchups, but he's not someone you can drop. And especially without starting Shepard, who might be out for at least a couple more weeks. Oh, definitely going to be out for a couple more weeks. He's on the IR. Better days are ahead for Evan Ingram. You can't drop him. I know he's been frustrating, but you can't drop him. He's still going to be a guy who has the tight end one talent and with no Shepard, there should be enough targets. And like I said, I do expect this to be a pass-first team. And I have to think there's better days ahead. I say it hesitantly because what I saw at Jason Garrett today was a mockery of what they should have been doing with the offensive side of the ball. But I think better days are ahead. Now, as far as this running game goes, so much for the idea that Deion Lewis is going to lead this backfield because that's what all the beat writers wanted you to believe heading into this matchup. No, 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 no. Now, nobody in this backfield was worth playing, didn't want to play him, and nobody in this backfield did anything. But Devontae Freeman, five carries, technically led the way. Wayne Gallman had four. Freeman had 10 yards. Gallman had seven, for what it's worth. None of the running backs were really involved in the passing game. Wayne Gallman had two catches for seven yards, while Deion Lewis had a catch for 10 yards. Both had three targets apiece. The only person who wasn't involved at all was Freeman. I think Freeman will be the one who has some value, but I, I, I talked about this. I don't believe it was on the show, or maybe it was. But I was talking about this with at least with somebody throughout the week, and my big thing about Devonta Freeman, while he was somebody that was definitely worth a pickup, and he was on my waiver wire report, I did say the one caveat with him is that I don't think whoever's the starter of the Giants' backfield, so presumably will be Freeman sooner rather than later. This game kind of confirms that at least. There's not going to be a game that you're going to want to play them until week 12 when they play Cincinnati. Their schedule from now until then, because they have the bye in week 11, is brutal, especially playing against good run defenses. It's absolutely brutal. There's not a matchup in which you're going to feel comfortable playing a Giants running back unless suddenly Freeman's drinking from the fountain of youth. You're not dropping Freeman. But here's what I will say about Deion Lewis. Prepare to be flushed. 
there's no reason to own him. He's not going to be this James White type that he was at one point in his career for the New York Giants. It's not going to happen. There's no reason to own Deion Lewis. Freeman, you can still own him. You can still stash him. If he has a, a good game, surprisingly, one week, maybe you can sell high on him and package him with something. But there's no reason to own Deion Lewis. Now, on the 49ers side of the ball, no Jimmy Garoppolo, no George Kittle. Jordan Reed actually gets injured in this game, comes out, goes back in, and then comes out again because he hurt his ankle on that terrible turf at MetLife Stadium. He planted hard trying to lay out for a touchdown pass and really, really should have never came back out to the game to begin with. He had to leave. So they were down Jordan Reed, too, in this game. They were down Jerry McKinnon, Jeff Wilson Jr., and Brandon Ayuk. And they all scored and played. Nick Mullins had 343 yards and a passing touchdown, no interceptions. Look completely comfortable and competent out there. This Giants defense is just going to be a defense you're going to love to play fantasy football players against. Jerry McKinnon also got banged up in this game. Now they're calling it an upper rib injury. And he, I think he had one touch in the fourth quarter, and that was it. He didn't play the rest of the fourth quarter after that. It was all Jeff Wilson Jr. in the fourth quarter, where he wound up scoring his uh, screen touchdown that he caught at the end of the game. He wasn't really involved in the passing game until that point. Um, but that's why if you actually stream Jeff Wilson Jr., he came through with you with two touchdowns on the week mostly to do with what he was able to do in the fourth quarter because he had 12 carries for 15 yards. Otherwise, he wasn't very good on the ground. I We don't know yet. We don't have clarification on the seriousness of Jared McKinnon's injury. And it's hard to tell because they were up multiple scorers in the fourth quarter. It's it's easily could have just been a precaution. He's a little sore. He's a guy who's uh, injury prone to begin with. So he decided just not to bring him in because they didn't have to. So it's hard to know if, if that's the case or if he's seriously injured. And we're, I don't think we're going to know anything really until Wednesday because they, they really have I don't think he's going for an MRI necessarily. So I don't know if they have any reason to tell us before then. So it might be later on in the week that we find out about Jerick McKinnon. Remember, we're still going to probably be another week without Raheem Mostert. Tevin Coleman's on the IR. So if McKinnon can go, he will continue to be the starter. And in this 49ers defense or 49ers offense, excuse me, you definitely want to have the starting running back no matter what the matchup is, because you know they're going to get involved, whether it's through the rushing game or the pass game. Now, McKinnon wasn't great on the ground, only 38 yards off those 14 carries, less than three yards carry. But he did get a rushing touchdown. He did get three catches for 39 yards. He showed explosion for the first couple of weeks. He scored in every single week so far this season. So even though they play against the Philadelphia Eagles, which is a tough matchup on the ground, if he's out there and starting for the San Francisco 49ers, he's going to be at least a flex play for me. So we're going to have to keep our eyes on that injury at BellyUpMDFF show on Twitter. Brandon Ayuk had a very nice rookie day. He Last week against the Jets, he didn't do much. But this week, three, three carries for 31 yards and a touchdown, getting involved in those Jet sweeps that we used to see Debo Samuel be involved on. I was wondering how long that was going to take. They decided to break that out this week with the lack of weapons. And then he actually had five catches for 70 yards and was a lead target on the day with eight. I expect that to be the case more times than not. Until Debo Samuel comes back, I would suspect that Ayuk will be the lead targeted wide receiver. Now, when George Kittle comes back, I expect him to be the lead pass catcher. But I expect Brian Ayuk to lead this receiving group more times than not moving forward. And this was a nice, solid rookie debut. Not rookie debut, but for his first solid rookie game. I think he is somebody who's going to want to be on my waiver wire report. Maybe not as a must-add, 
but somebody who has some interest because I've been big on this the whole time too. Wide receivers who have Jones fractures, normally speaking, don't come back the same. Even if they come, even if they come back that same year, they don't play the same way. They're physically unable to do so. And being a Debo Samuel is somebody who's already had a setback. That's why he had to go on IR after trying to do everything in their power to avoid doing so. I would not be surprised if Brandon Ayuk is forced to being the top receiver all throughout the year because I question exactly how Debo Sam is going to look when he comes back. Now, we're not going to know for sure, but just in the history of Jones fractures with wide receivers, I just I rarely see them come back that same year and look as good as they were. I feel like it's one of those injuries that takes about a year to actually fully be able to heal. So Brandon Ayuk is not going to be a must-add, but he is somebody who's going to be on the, probably going to be on the waiver wire report, and we'll talk about that more uh, in tomorrow's show. So we move on to the Bengals and the Eagles, the first tie of 2020. Carson Wentz. Now, he wasn't a must-start for me, but I did say to people, if you have Carson Wentz, I felt like you're compelled to play him against the Cincinnati Bengals because if you can't play him against the Bengals, who are you going to be able to play him against this season with any confidence? From a fantasy, it wasn't pretty from an NFL perspective, but from a fantasy perspective, Carson Wentz came through for you, mostly because he had 65 yards and a touchdown on the ground in this game. Ever since Carson Wentz got hurt, he was somebody who was always mobile. He was somebody who was always athletic. But when he once he tore his ACL, he was someone who tried to kind of avoid using his legs and using his athleticism. Well, now with the lack of targets and clearly what's heat beneath his seat coming from the fans, coming from the media, he's starting to run more. He's starting to use his athleticism. He's starting, he's trying to just find ways to make plays. Passing the ball wasn't pretty. 29 of 47, 225 yards, touchdown, two picks. Those two picks were horrible throws too, by the way. But we were having flashbacks the last year in this game. Dallas Goddard goes down. We're going to have to uh, keep our eyes on him. But the early report is that they're expecting him to miss some time. Deshaun Jackson came out early in this game due to a hamstring issue. We knew, obviously, when it comes to soft tissue injuries and Deshaun Jackson, it's only a matter of time. I guess technically he made it longer than he did last week. We don't know the severity of that hamstring issue. But they were back down to just Greg Ward and Zach Ertz as their main targets. Greg Ward, eight catches, 72 yards, and a touchdown on 11 targets. Zach Ertz, seven catches, 70 yards, and 10 targets. Now, heading into this week, there was talk that Alshon Jeffrey has a real chance to come back in week four. And if Deshaun's really going to be out, and Dallas Goddard's really going to be out, well, then his timing couldn't be better. So we're going to see how that's all going to play out. But if Alshon can't, Greg Ward is not going to be a must-add. He's not going to be on the way to our report. I can tell you that much. But if you find yourselves later on in the week and you're going to be a streaming option, he might be somebody who winds up making our wide receiver four list as a desperate flex play in PPR leagues. He, he might fall into that category. Zach Ertz, however, does get solidified as a top tight end. And that's regardless of Alshon Jeffrey coming back. Because with no Dallas Goddard, we know how much the tight end is going to be involved in this passing game. Ertz is now just got solid. Ertz owners should be sort of rejoicing at this point because he's definitely going to be locked in as a tight end one. That, that's the big thing for Zach Ertz owners right now. But it was brutal. Other than that, Miles Sanders 
he didn't have as he maybe didn't have as big of a game as I was expecting against the Bengals. I was definitely expecting at least a touchdown. He still got a hundred yards from scrimmage. He had 95 yards on the ground, tacked on four catches for 12 yards, had eight targets. So I was surprised of how inefficient he was in the passing game off of eight targets. Better days are ahead for him as far as a receiver goes, and he's going to get in the end zone more times than not. I think that was the only disappointing thing is he didn't get in the end zone in this game, but he's still very, very solid for everybody involved. As long as he's healthy, he's getting almost all of the work as far as the backfield is concerned, whether it's catching the ball, whether it's rushing the ball. This guy is going to be a high-end RB2 who might be approaching low-end RB1 totals if he continues to keep up this kind of volume, because he's going to have bigger games ahead where he's able to break a few more than what he did today. So everything looking great for Miles Sanders moving forward as of this moment. On the Bengals side of the ball, I'll start off with the bat. I'll start off with AJ Green. Now, AJ Green was somebody I told you guys was not a must play for me. It was not, in fact, if anything, he was a sit him for me because he's going to be going up against Darius Slay. I kind of figured he wasn't going to be the most targeted guy, and he wasn't. He had six targets in this game. Both T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd out targeted him. I still truly believe that better days are ahead for AJ Green. And he even saw it in overtime. That first drive, all Joe Burrow wanted to do was go to Green. So when they get in the better matchups, I do think AJ Green is still somebody who's going to have low end wide receiver two with upside capabilities. The other negative is Joe Mixon. But again, there's a silver lining. So while he only had 17 carries for 49 yards, less than three yards to carry, while he still only had two catches, 16 yards on three targets, the silver lining is he still had 19 touches. He's still getting volume. And we knew this wasn't going to be a great matchup against the Philadelphia Eagles. He had a couple goal line carries, wasn't able to convert. If he falls in the end zone, it's a much different day. But we knew he was going to be touched on dependent RB2 heading into this particular matchup. Cincinnati Bengals offensive line is just not good. They can't get a push when they're trying to, when they're in the goal line situation, when they're in jumbo sets, they can't protect Joe Burrow. I mean, he got whacked. He had eight sacks and he got whacked in the double digits throughout this game. I mean, the Bengals being competitive right now, it's all on the back of Joe Burrow and his competitiveness and his toughness. He is winning over the guys in that locker room because he is getting killed every single week. And he's still able to manage his composure even as a rookie, it's impressive. But better days are ahead for Mixon. Better days are ahead for A.J. Green. Their schedule gets a little bit better for them moving forward. Now, at Mixon, I still worry about Giovanni Bernard? Yes, but I will say in this game, when they were able to keep it close, Bernard comes away with three catches, 55 yards. That's what people are going to see in, in, the, in the box score. But he wasn't coming in on every single passing situation like he had been the past couple of weeks. He really didn't get involved until the fourth quarter in this game. And he didn't receive any carries whatsoever. Joe Mixon had 100% of the running back carries. So that's why I said there's a silver lining with Joe Mixon moving forward. Now, would that stop me from selling high on him the second he has a good game? I would have to contemplate it. One, it would, obviously, it would matter on who it was that I was selling him high for. But it is something that I would probably have to contemplate. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back on the other side, we got five more games to go over for you before we go ahead and wrap up the show. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And we are back on WWSRN. 
As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. We got five more games to recap before we end tonight's show. We're going to move through these a little bit quicker to get it moving here. But we got the Colts, so we got the Jets. I'll sum it up for you. There's nothing to care about with the Jets. When James Crowder comes back and Le'Veon Bell come back, we'll talk. We'll have RB3s. We'll have wide receiver threes that we could talk about for fantasy football purposes. Sam Darn was terrible. Three picks in this game. I talked about the Giants being a team you wanted to stream your defense against. I talked about the Washington Football Club, a team you want to stream your defense against. The Jets are the number one team to stream your defense against. Colts defense, who frankly hasn't looked great. Uh, I thought it was more Kirk Cousins imploding last week than it was about their defense playing awesome. But Colts defense are going to end the, end the week as number one defense for fantasy football purposes. I mean, Two touchdowns, all the turnovers, all the sacks. It was absolute. It was absolute bloodbath. And because their defense dominated so much, their offense really didn't do too much. Their offense kind of left you disappointing from a fantasy standpoint. John Taylor does score a touchdown, but only has thirteen carries, fifty nine yards, only one catch for three yards. Jordan Wilkins had nine carries. Naeem Hine had seven carries. That mostly just had to do because they had the game so well in hand. They just decided not to push the envelope with Jonathan Taylor. And why would you? I will add that Naeem Hines had four catches for 40 yards on five targets. That actually was the most targets for the team, by the way. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. But it also goes to show you, don't drop Naeem Hines. If you, if you picked him up and you dropped him last week, get him back. When they're in game scripts where they're actually against competitive teams and competitive games, which will be more times than not, Naeem Hines is going to be involved in the passing game. He's going to be a PPR steal. He's going to be a half-point PPR steal. He's a guy who needs to be owned. So don't drop him. I know you had that bad game last week, and a lot of people suddenly wanted to turn around and drop up what was their number one waiver priority from the week before. Don't drop him. Now, T.Y. Hilton, Ooh. I don't know. I want to hit I want to hit the flush town button on him. I want to dump him. I don't think you can. With no Paris Campbell, and we know what Zach Pascal is. Michael Pittman got a little bit nicked up in this game. He was questionable to return. We got to see what his injury status is going to be heading into week four. On paper, T.Y. Hilton should be the lead pass catcher. He should be the guy. I don't think you can drop him because of that reason. But man, oh man, I don't know how much you want to play him. Now, again, this game flow was so dominant from the defensive side that the offense of the Colts never really had to get going. And that was partly why T.Y. Hilton only had three catches for 52 yards. But if you can't even feel comfortable in a matchup like this playing Hilton, when are you going to feel comfortable playing him? So that's why I say you can't drop him. 
better days are ahead, but you're going to have to look for games in which the Colts are going to be put to the test where you know the other team is definitely going to put up points. And those are the matchups you're going to have to pick and choose whether or not it's worth playing T.Y. Hilton. But he was a guy who was a bus wide receiver for me coming into this season. He was a wide receiver for, for me coming into this game. Even up against the New York Jets, he still wasn't a must play for me. But it was a matchup I was keeping my eye on. With the same mindset of if Hilton doesn't do well here, when will he? I want to thank Frank Reich. I want to thank the Colts for this one reason. Jack Doyle was active, but it was Mo Alley Cox who was the tight end. Three catches, 50 yards, a touchdown, three targets. More volume will be in store for him in the future. Mo Alley Cox is officially a top streaming tight end in my book because if you, even if Jack Doyle is healthy and Mo Alley Cox is still going to get to play ahead of him, especially when it matters most, Mo Alley Cox is actually in a situation where he could wind up being the lead target for this team. If T.Y. Hilton continues to play the way that he is and utilize the way that he is, Mo Alley Cox could become Philip Rivers' favorite target. That's within the realm of possibility right now. So he definitely becomes a streaming tight end. We're going to move on here. We're going to move on to Carolina Panthers. We're going to talk about the Los Angeles Chargers. Justin Herbert, 35 of 49, 330 yards, a touchdown, an interception, tacked on 15 yards rushing. He was a streaming quarterback, and he came through as far as that standpoint goes. Now, he did not look as good as he did against the Chiefs, but he got the job done. Now, he had a really bad pick. It wound up kind of costing them the game a little bit. So I will be curious to see if Tyra Taylor is able is ever able to come back if maybe Herbert's job is, isn't is 100% secure. But until then, in plus matchups, because of what he can give you on the ground, he's going to be a safe floor streaming option for us moving forward. Mike Williams got banged up in this game. He had a hamstring issue. That's why I only came away with one catch for 17 yards. But with Justin Herbert as a starter, Mike Williams somebody who is not a player that I necessarily wanted to have to play anyway. We talked about this. With Herbert in there, Keenan Allen and Hunter Henry and Austin Eckler were going to be back to what their values were last year because it's going to be the Phillip Rivers offense when Justin Herbert's back there. And boy, did that show. 13 catches for 132 yards and a touchdown on 19 targets for Keenan Allen. Now, this game flow was not what we expected. We expected the Chargers to be able to run the ball, control this game with their defense, even without Melvin Ingram. Well, the Panthers were able to move the ball more effectively than I expected them to. And their defense played better than I expected it to in the first half. And that puts the Chargers in a situation where they had to come back from behind. So there's, I don't ever foresee a situation in which Justin Herbert is going to be asked to the ball 49 times again this season. And the reason I say that, even though it happened in this game, is because that's just not what the Chargers want to do right now. It's not what Anthony Lynn wants to do. He wants to attack teams with his ground game. But the Chargers defense lost Chris Harris. Without Melvin Ingram, without Chris Harris, if this defense is going to be susceptible, they might find themselves in more game scripts where they're going to have to throw the ball a little bit more. But that's still not what they want to do at the end of the day. Joshua Kelly was a big disappointment. He was efficient. Eight carries for 43 yards is over five yards a carry. But he didn't get to double digit carries like I expected him to because, again, this game script just didn't go the way we expected it to, which hindered a lot of what we had. Austin Eckler was phenomenal, though. 12 carries, 59 yards, a touchdown, 11 catches for 84 yards on 11 targets. Like I said, Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, their passing volume 
is back as long as Justin Herbert is the quarterback, plain and simple. Hunter Henry was fine in this game. Seven targets, five catches, 50 yards. The big thing about Henry is that he continues to stay healthy. He'll get in the end zone. He'll continue to have a large work share. He'll continue to be a low-end tight end one moving forward. On the Panthers' side of the ball, this was the big first game without Christian McCaffrey, and how would they hold up? Well, Mike Davis did pretty well. Eight catches for 45 yards and a touchdown on nine targets. He was the top targeted pass catcher for the Carolina Panthers. Christian McCaffrey, who? No, not quite to that level. And you saw why. 13 carries for 46 yards, not even four yards a carry. But they have a couple good matchups coming up. Mike Davis is going to be an RB2 for the next few weeks until Christian McCaffrey comes back, without a doubt. After what he was able to show in the passing game against this tough Charger defense, which is the toughest matchup they have for the next couple weeks, I like what Mike Davis is going to be able to do as a very solid RB2 moving forward until Christian McCaffrey is able to come back. So that's the good news for you guys who picked him up if you lost Christian McCaffrey. I think you're going to be able to hold down the four until he comes back. Teddy Bridgewater, from an NFL standpoint, played well, but from a fantasy standpoint, was eh. But you weren't streaming him in this game anyway against his Chargers defense, so I don't think anybody should be upset about that. DJ Moore only had two catches for 65 yards on four targets in this game. That was it. That was all. Robbie Anderson, five catches, 55 yards, six targets. Is it too soon to say? Is it too crazy to say that Robbie Anderson, not DJ Moore, is the number one wide receiver for Teddy Bridgewater and the Carolina Panthers? So far as the first three games, Robbie Anderson has out-targeted him two of those three games. I don't think it's so crazy to say. Robbie Anderson is not just a big play threat within this offense. And I knew DJ Moore was going to have a tough time with Chris Harris, and he doesn't get those two catches until after Chris Harris goes out of the game, by the way. But I think it's just something to consider in a tough matchup. Tampa Bay wasn't an easy matchup either. Robbie Anderson led the way. Or Robbie, I shouldn't, he didn't lead the way. DJ Moore did, but he still had a very good game. Robbie Anderson might be the receiver to own pretty soon. He still owned DJ Moore, but I don't, he's not the wide receiver two that you drafted him to be. And I was concerned about that because I seem to be the only one who recognized that Robbie Anderson was more in a big play threat and that he was only relegated to that situation in particular because of Adam Gase and Sam Darnold. And I'm glad he's getting his chance to shine. Robbie Anderson's going to be a high-end wide receiver three with big-time upside for me moving forward. And it might not be long before we consider him a wide receiver two week to week. Just to keep that out there. So we move on to the Cowboys and the Seahawks. And this was every bit of the fantasy wet dream that we all hoped for. But there was one interesting little twist. Michael Gallup, Mari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb... And Cedric Wilson as part of the big receivers for the Dallas Cowboys. Five catches, 170 yards, and two touchdowns on seven targets for a guy who hadn't even played up until this week. Craziest thing in the world. Not something I expect to continue, so I'm not too worried about it there. In this game, it was Michael Gallup, not it was Michael, it was CeeDee Lamb, not Michael Gallup, who wound up being the man left out, the odd man out. I think it actually probably had more to do with Cedric Wilson than anything else. But CeeDee Lamb, five catches, 65 yards, while Michael Gallup comes through, six catches, 138 yards, and a touchdown off of nine targets. I told you guys better days were ahead for Michael Gallup. He's still a big play threat. He's still really good. This is still a high-volume offense. I'm not worried about it. 
Is he a little bit more hit or miss than we expected him to be? Yeah. Is he a little bit more of a wide receiver three than an up-and-coming wide receiver two? Yeah. But he showed you today what he can do. So you're not moving on from Michael Gallup. Amari Cooper, 12 targets. He tied with Ezekiel Elliott with the most targets on the team. Nine catches, 86 yards. It's a little frustrating because Amari Cooper has been heavily utilized the first three weeks, but he hasn't really been able to capitalize too much. And he's, he's giving you these high floors. That's great. But last week was the only week he went over, he went to 100 yards, and he still hasn't scored yet this year. But the three weeks of the season, Amari Cooper has zero touchdowns. That will all change. He'll get into the end zone. He'll have more 100-yard days. The big thing about Amari Cooper is that he's a high floor, low end, I think a low end wide receiver one, high end wide receiver two right now, especially with the volume he's been getting, who has not had his best football yet. So I love Amari Cooper moving forward. Not that you were worried about him to begin with. Zeke had his more disappointing day. 14 carries, 34 yards, touchdown, six catches, 24 yards. Obviously better days are ahead. Obviously you're not going to panic on Zeke Elliott. It was just a little bit of a disappointing day. The big guy, Dak Prescott, though, 472 yards, three touchdowns, did have two picks, 57 pass attempts, tacked on 26 yards rushing. From a fantasy standpoint, Dak Prescott has been every bit of the quarterback that we have wanted him to be. And because their defense is terrible, he's kind of like the Atlanta Falcons situation. He's just going to have to get put to task every single week to have to Make this offense score. So he's going to be as safe of a QB1 is going to come. Same thing goes for Russell Wilson. There's not much to be said here. 315 yards, five touchdowns for the second week in a row. How impressive is that? Tacked on 22 yards rushing. Now, the thing we have to talk about with the Seahawks, Chris Carson goes down. It sounds like it's a knee sprain, which is good because honestly, it looked a lot worse than that when it happened on the field. So a knee sprain, that will tend to mean he will probably miss a few weeks. Carlos Hyde, will probably be the number one waiver wire pickup, most likely, with with, Car- with Chris Carson out. Carlos Hyles should be the main ball carrier. Travis Homer will probably be expected to handle more of the passing down work. But with no Chris Carson, Carlos Hyde is going to be somebody who's going to be considered a high-end RB3, possibly low-end RB2 moving forward. Remember, 40 times in this game is how much Russell Wilson threw the ball. That's by far been the most so far to this point. They still want to run the football. They still want to have a balanced attack for the most part, if they can help it. So Carlos High is going to have some value while Chris Carson most likely will miss maybe a week or two, if not more. The MRI comes sometime Monday. So maybe by the time you're listening to the show, we'll already know. But we'll keep you up to date on that. The receivers were great. I told you guys heading into this, you could start DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett as wide receiver ones this week. And they did not disappoint Tyler Lockett. Three touchdowns, nine catches, 100 yards on 13 targets. I talked about how he has this great rapport with Russell Wilson, how he has the safe floor. But also I talked about how we hadn't seen him even break out what is true big play potential for Tyler Lockett. We did in this game. He finally caught a 43-yarder, but was still outdone by DK Metcalf on a 63-yard toss where he scored his touchdown. He comes away with four catches for 110 yards. And by the way, he should have had a lot more. If you didn't see this game, he caught a bomb touchdown. And because he high-stepped into the end zone and didn't realize the defender was right behind him, he wound up fumbling out of the back of the end zone. So what sh- he should have had over 150 yards and two touchdowns in this matchup. 
That's what should have been his stat line. Absolutely incredible. Before we give you the last two games of this show, I want to let you know that these two games are brought to you by Manscaped. If you want the best performance for your nether regions, Manscaped is the place for you. They have all the ball care you could ever need, like high-quality trimmers for unwanted hair or ball toner that will leave you smelling fresh all day long. Just go to manscaped.com and use the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY for 20% off of your purchase. Your balls will thank you. And the Detroit Lions, they must have been wearing they must have been wearing some manscaped because all of a sudden the Detroit Lions actually pull a game out in the fourth quarter. Now I think the key with them is that they have to be trailing heading into the fourth quarter rather than leading going into the fourth quarter. And then that gives them a chance to pull out the game. We'll start off with the big, you know, storyline of the day for the Detroit Lions, which is Kenny Galladay. He comes back finally. He starts his first game of the 2020 season, six catches, 57 yards. He scores a touchdown on seven targets. I don't think you can expect much more. I talked about how this was a tough matchup. Patrick Peterson, Byron Murphy. It's a tough duo quarterback combination that the Cardinals have. It wasn't going to be a great matchup for him. But I did say I felt like you could still play him as a low-end wide receiver two, high-end wide receiver three, because he was somebody that Matthew Stafford is going to go to in the red zone. That's exactly what happened here. So better days are ahead for Kenny Galladay, and it was nice to see him get in the end zone, and I think it's a nice first game back. Outside of that, Adrian Peterson, 22 carries. Not particularly efficient, only three and a half yards a carry for 75 yards, but 22 carries. DeAndre Swift, on Johnson, they weren't involved in this game at all, period. Not even remotely. I don't know if that's the thing that's going to continue. I do believe that you still have to hold. It's becoming harder to say that, but here's what I'll say. In games in which Detroit Lions are going to have to throw more, which I think will be more games than not, DeAndre Swift will be involved, and he'll be somebody that you can consider as a flex PPR running back. But you're going to have to be very game script dependent until later on this season happens where maybe DeAndre Swift gets given the opportunity to take over this backfield. The guy who has the most value is AP. He's been the best running back through the first three weeks. This was the first one where he just got all the work, and it became his backfield. He's somebody worth owning. I'm not going to be ready to play him yet. I need to see him get this kind of a workload for a second week in a row before I can really trust it. But if I have the room on the bench, I'm going to probably make a point to stash Adrian Peterson. And really, I should say this with DeAndre Swift. If you have your room on your bench where you're not getting hindered by it because you have, you know, you haven't had that many injuries or you have quality starters, then I can stash them. But if you find yourself in a situation where you need to make room for a guy who can help you right now, you can drop DeAndre Swift. But we're not going to hit the dump button on him. We're not going to welcome him to Flushtown just yet. Just yet. Stafford was solid in this game. 270 yards, two touchdowns. Played a much cleaner game than we've seen him play. He looked much better with his number one target back in the game. He's somebody who will enter back into the streaming quarterback conversation. Kyler Murray, from a fantasy standpoint, was just fine because he got you 29 yards on the ground with a rushing touchdown, 270 yards, and two passing touchdowns. But he did have three interceptions, and from an NFL standpoint, he's the reason they lost this game. He was not very good in this game at all. I don't know if he's confused by the coverage. That seemed to be mostly the case. But from a fantasy standpoint, because of his legs, once again, he's always going to give you a top-10 performance. So was DeAndre Hopkins, apparently. He was our number one receiver coming in. The only thing he didn't do is score, but another 10 catch performance, 137 yards, 12 targets. The only reason he didn't score because it was the fluke that is Andy Isabella in this game coming through with two touchdowns. That's not going to happen probably at all again this season. 
Kenyon Drake was I I had kind of disappointing. He was solid. 18 carries, 73 yards, one catch, six yards. Just again, doesn't find the end zone. And this is we were big on Kenyon Drake coming into this game. I had him in my top five everywhere. I had him as my number one in standard. I thought for sure Kenyon Drake was going to score touchdowns in this game. I thought I thought he was going to get two, honestly. But he's still getting the volume. He's still been efficient. And this wound up being a more weird type of game script than we were expecting it to be. Better days are ahead for Kenyon Drake. So I'm not worried about it moving forward. I'm not selling low on Kenyon Drake. Put it that way. If anything, if you can if you can buy low, if someone is freaking out because they're not getting the big games that they expected out of him, see what you can offer. Because I would buy low on Kenyon Drake in a heartbeat. He's still getting all the work. Last game we're going to talk about, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Denver Broncos. Brady finally coming through with his first good game on the season, 297 yards and three touchdowns. Unfortunately, the Buccaneers lost Chris Godwin again in this game, this time to a hamstring issue, so we're going to have to watch this. So this could wind up being a multiple-week thing, depending on how severe it is. That part we don't know yet. Mike Evans was weird. He winds up being a decent fantasy star for you, but... It was the triple twos for him this week. Two catches for two yards for two touchdowns. But he was a goal line guy. That was it. He wasn't involved otherwise. Chris Godwin had five catches, 64 yards and touchdowns. So at least he gave you a good fantasy day before he got injured. But moving forward, it's going to go back to being Mike Evans and Scotty Miller, at least for week four. Just the way Chris Godwin pulled up on the injury in this game, I... I find it hard to believe he's going to be back this week. But it'll be something we'll have to watch moving forward. But yeah, Mike Evans, he gets you the two touchdowns. But I'm a little bit concerned. When Chris Godwin is in the lineup, I know the first week Mike Evans was banged up and he's facing Marshawn Lattimore. But so far in the small sample size that we have, when it is a small sample size, but when Chris Godwin is in the lineup, Mike Evans is barely targeted unless in the red zone. Now, luckily, he's still getting those touchdowns, but something I'd be a little bit concerned about when they're both in there moving forward on the Broncos side of the ball. They were abysmal offensively and I kind of expected them to this Tampa Bay defense. Like I've said before is for real, especially with Todd Bowles blitzing. He's going to bring a lot of pressure and Jeff Driscoll got benched. And what's weird here is that they don't know who their starting quarterback is going to be. Vic Vangio didn't commit to anyone in particular and they have a Thursday game coming up. So they're going to have to decide really fast. Jerry Judy was banged up coming in this game. He played, though, five catches, 55 yards on nine targets. He's a low-end wide receiver three at best, and he's only a wide receiver three because he's going to have consistent volume like this because he's almost the last man standing. Noah Fant, five catches, 46 yards on 10 targets. Better days are ahead. I mean, Noah Fant has been pretty good despite the Denver Bronco offense not being very good to this point. The guy who was disappointing, who I told you that hopefully you had a better option because he wasn't a must-start for me this week, although I could understand if you didn't have a better option, unfortunately, was Melvin Gordon. Eight carries for 26 yards. He only had four catches for 12 yards. Tampa Bay is not a defense you're going to want to play your running back against if you can help it, and you're only going to be playing your running back against them if you have an elite RB1 who's matchup proof. But anybody else outside of that, they're going to have a rough day against Tampa Bay. You can't run on this defense. The Broncos moving forward from a fantasy standpoint, outside of owning Melvin Gordon, who will have better days ahead. I don't know how much I want to own anybody on this team. 
Jerry Judy's worth a roster, but it's going to be very matchup dependent. Now they play the Jets this upcoming week, so if you're going to be playing a Denver Bronco, this is going to be the week to do it, even with Brett Ripon or Jeff Driscoll at quarterback. The good news about Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler, which is why I think they are worth owning, is that Drew Locke will be back. And while I'm not a big fan of Drew Locke, he's immensely better than what we had to watch this Sunday. And they will have the volume to go with it. KJ Hamler is maybe not a must-own, but he's somebody who's going to have big play potential down the road. That's going to wrap it up for the show. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. I know it was a lot of content, a lot to go over. There always is in the first recap show. But tomorrow we'll be back with the with the Sunday night, the Monday night, and of course the all important waiver wire report. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. Remember, follow us on social media at Belly Up MDFF Show. Make sure you download the Worldwide Sports Radio app, so that way you can listen to this show and a lot of others. We have a lot of great content available for you guys. And check out BellyUpFantasySports.com for all your fantasy sports needs. Everyone, take care, and I will see you guys again tomorrow. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 